Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. My daughter, beautiful as she is, she came to me and she said something uh, really bizarre this week. She said, Dad, in the olden days, and I suddenly realized that she thinks that I was in the olden days. And I remember uh, saying that to my parents, and now it's being said to me, I grew up in the olden days. In fact, shocking to her, she discovered that, uh, you know, Sarah and I were alive in a time before the internet, you know, before it was accessible like it is today. And so uh, she talks about the olden days and, and, you know, uh, I have a story from the olden days, not really, it's a little bit more recent than that, but back in the days uh, when you would still buy CDs, uh, I remember being uh, you know, at Eastland Shopping Center and I went to buy a CD. We don't do that anymore, I did on this day. I went and, and I was buying a CD. I remember being in Sanity and I, I had my, my, my CD there, I was standing in line with a, with a group of other people. And this guy came in from you know, the back of the store, grabbed what he needed, came up to the front and sort of stood behind me to my right. And the lady was serving everybody that was there. And then she said, "Um, who was next, please? And I was just about to say, that's me. And before I could even get the words out, this person that was sort of standing behind me to the right of me said, I believe I was next and put their CD that they had in front of my face so that I couldn't even see the person. And they did it with such arrogance, right? And I saw, all I could see was not only their CD, I could just see red. And I was pretty mad about that. So who is, I can't believe that someone would be so rude to not only skip the queue, but put their CD in front of my face. And so I wanted to take the CD that I had and I wanted to donate it straight to their face. And before I did that, I had a moment of clarity, a moment of self-control. And I thought, this is a terrible idea. And I played out the scenario in my head. And the scenario in my head was, imagine that this guy decides that he's going to come to church on Sunday and he sees me there and I assaulted him with a copy of the Backstreet Boys or something. I don't, I don't, I don't even know what I had, right? Let's just say that's what it was. But, but he's, your pastor assaulted me with a CD. And I thought that is not something that I would like to have said about me. So I decided that I was not going to do anything. I would just be quiet. I would just practice some patience. And that is what happened. And this thing that, I, that, that just spoke to me, that came over me, that gave me this moment of clarity, this is a very important life lesson that I I want you to learn, and here it is. Your past will show up in your future. Your past will show up in your future. It is a principle that you can live by. This will happen to everyone. And I feel like if people fully understood what I just said, they would act different in their present knowing that it was going to come up in their future. 
Now, imagine for a moment that you could go back in time and that you could speak to your former self. What kind of advice would you give your high school version of you? If you're still in high school, maybe you go back to primary school. I don't know. But if you could go back to high school right now and give yourself some advice, what would you say? Would you say, hey, don't hang out with those people. That is a bad idea. Or maybe you would say to yourself, you got to study. I know you don't like it, but it's going to become pretty important. So make sure that you study hard and get, you know, all of your, uh, work, uh, you know, exams and everything in on time. Make sure you do that. What would you tell your former self? What would you tell yourself when you're getting your first job? What would you come and what kind of advice would you give? You know, maybe, maybe you'd go back to yourself in your 20s and you'd say, as soon as you can, just get into the housing market because trust me, in the future, it's a nightmare. So get in as early as you can. Maybe that's what you'd say. Or maybe your future self will come back to you and say to you now, no, seriously, do invest in Bitcoin. Everyone exclusively uses this in the future. It is the way of the future. I don't know what you would tell yourself, but this is a principle. We've got to understand that what we do in our present affects our future. Now, if you take that principle and begin to apply it to these areas of your lives, you could see how it would become very valuable. But today, I want to talk to you about uh, applying this principle in a very important area of your life, your relationships. Take this principle and apply it to your relationships. I want to share a message with you today that's been on my heart for a little while, how to be single, married or divorced. Now, the reason I want to share this is because I know that every single person will go through at least one of these stages. You are currently either single, you are divorced, um, or, or you, you are married. You're one of those three. You will go through these stages in your life. Maybe not all of them, but at least and definitely one of them. Now, Jesus says something really important that's going to become really really valuable for the rest of the message today. He said, uh, a wise man builds his house on the rock. Now, when Jesus said that, I just want you to understand the uh, illustration that he's using here. Uh, your, your life is the house. Okay, so that's, you've got to build, he's talking about building your life. And the rock is actually Jesus. So let me say it to you another way. You need to build your life on Jesus. What is this saying? It's saying to us that Jesus becomes the foundation for everything that we build our lives on. Every relationship, every decision, it's all built on Jesus being the foundation in our life. And if, you, if you're new to church and you say, that sounds beautiful. I, I don't even understand what that means. What do you mean? How, how can it be the foundation of my life? Well, it, it all really re revolves around the kind of relationship that you have with Jesus and understanding the central message that we talk about in church all of the time, which is the gospel. And the gospel message is a really simple message where we have a relationship with God through Jesus. We believe as Christians that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. So our, the way that we connect with God is only and exclusively through Jesus because He forgives us of our sins, enabling us to have a relationship with God. Now, 
all of everything else in our life, all of our other decisions, all the things that we'll do in life, they must be built on that as the foundation, which means that how we see ourselves is incredibly important. Now, this relationship that we have with God through Jesus is something that we call a covenant. And a covenant is like a promise, but it's far more significant than a promise. And in a covenant agreement, there's always a superior and an inferior. The superior presents the terms and the, the agreements of the covenant and the inferior can agree or, dis, or disagree, but they don't get to change it. So our relationship with God comes to us in this way, where he says, my relationship with you will be by grace through faith in Christ. You can't change it. You can't get around it another way. It will only be this way. And so I want to read a scripture to you when it comes out of Romans chapter 8, verse 14 to 16 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now we would also add daughters because we're not just talking about uh, just the men, but sons and daughters of God. Verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. See, you need to understand that a covenant with God makes you a child of God. A covenant with God makes you a child of God. And the reason I say this is because we always see everything through the lens of identity. When we see ourselves, we're often thinking in terms of identity. And most people would do this without even recognizing that they do it. But I promise you, it is still there. So for example, uh, if I was to think about myself, I, I am not Ben, son of Bruce and Suzanne, husband to Sarah, father of, pastor of. I could say that those elements are, are, are very important and they are absolutely the details of my life. But if I was to say, this is who I am, oh, and also follower of Jesus, right? I, that's, that's not how that works. When it comes to identity, it's all about putting the right things first. You need to get the order correct. So here's who I am. I am a child of God who is also the son of Bruce and Suzanne and husband to Sarah and father of Judah and Isaac and Eliana and pastor of Bright Church. And trust me, the order in which I say these things is not semantics. It's important. It's relevant. It's all about your identity. And you've got to see who you are first in Christ before you see everything else. Now, if I was to say that I was all those other things, oh, and also a follower of Jesus, that would be like putting the house up first and trying to place the foundation on top of the house and it just doesn't work. That's not how it is. I must first be a Christian. I must first be a follower of Jesus, a child of God, and then all the other aspects of my life 
are built on that foundation. The order in which you see these things, it really does matter. So for me growing up, I just really never had a lot of vision for my life. I mean, when I was young, I had dreams about being different things and, and that, but, but really by the time I got to high school, I didn't know what I was gonna be until I really became a Christian and, and rededicated my life to Jesus. And for the first time, I had vision for my life. Now. Vision is important because it helps you to plan for your future. That's right. It makes sense. It's so obvious, but I'll say it anyway. Vision is important for your life because it helps you to make plans for your future. If you can see where you want to go, you know what you need to do today. Why does that matter? Because your past will pop up in your future. Okay, so you need to understand this. Now, I, I don't know what little kids dream of. And I actually went to my kids and I, I said to my daughter, I was told that little girls just dream about their wedding day. And so I said to Eliana, I just gave her a little test. I did this yesterday. I said, hey, what do you, uh, what do you really dream about for the future? She said, lunch. I said, okay. I said, uh, think a little bit bigger than that. I said, what else do you, what do you dream? What do you, th what do you think of the future? Eliana, what do you, what do you see? What do, what do you see in your future? She's like, after lunch, dinner. And I said, all right, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I said, hey, well, what, what if we were to project out, like, what do you see yourself doing when you grow up? And I said, uh, she said, a, a singer. I said, oh, you want to be a singer? And she said, yeah. I said, like a worship leader, like in church. And she goes, no, like not in church. And I said, all right, we're going to talk about that. You have some things that we're going to work through, okay? And then I went to my boys and I said to them, uh, hey, what do you guys think about in the future? Amazingly enough, they, I think they said something related to food. But then one of them said, uh, well, I, I sometimes think about what car I'd like to drive, you know? And I thought, all right, well, I can work with this. Because if, 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 if my son wants to buy a car, and he knows that that's what he's going to need in the future. He can make plans for it today by what? Uh, getting his pocket money. He's going to need a lot more help than that, I promise you. So getting his pocket money. But also the other thing he can do is he can get a job. And he gets a job. He can save his money. If he saves his money, he can buy a car. And so you can see how this thing just works in our lives. If you know that in the future your past will pop up, you can start to plan as well. So here is the thing that I want to ask you. I'm going to ask you three very big questions today and, and then maybe lots of little ones. Here is the first one. How do you plan for your future while you're single? How do you plan for your future while you're single? Let me talk about what it means to be single because what I really mean by that is that you have no spouse. And the reason that I say that is that there are multiple paths to being single. So maybe the reason that you're single is because you've just never been married. And that makes sense. But there is another path to being single. You were married and then subsequently have become divorced. And so now you find yourself back in single again. Uh, or maybe the situation for you is that yeah, you were married, but your spouse has passed away. And so where do you find yourself today? You are back in being single again. So, so you know, we find ourselves in being single through a number of different paths, right? And so I guess the first thing that is really important that I want to communicate to everybody who's single today is that if you are single, it is fine. It's fine. It's actually okay, even as a Christian. If you are in a church and you're surrounded by married people, there's nothing wrong with you. It's okay. It is perfectly okay to be 
single, nothing wrong with it. Now we know what the Bible says in Genesis 2 and chapter 18. It says, you know, God said it is not good for man to be alone. Well, yeah, because if Adam was alone, then none of us would be here and he'd still be alone. Okay, so yeah, we understand that it's not good for man to necessarily be alone, but it doesn't mean that every single person has to end up getting married. In fact, the Apostle Paul said this. He says when he was talking about the unmarried and widows, he says, it is good for them to remain even as I am. Why did Paul say that? In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8, because Paul was single. And if you are single, you can live a completely fulfilling and purposeful and meaningful life filled with all kinds of things that are around you and in your life and you are okay just like that. You can be single and you don't have to be alone. And I know that that's not in the way of a romantic relationship, sure, but you can fill your life with all kinds of people and, and, and have things in your life that are important. The truth is some people, they actually like this. They would prefer to be single. They, they actually get their own way and they're not even being selfish because they just live with themselves. So that's okay. What other choice would you have? It makes sense to me, right? Some people like it. Now, if you are single and you don't want to be, well, that's a bit of a different scenario. Now, you may not have the gift of singleness, so you want to be in a relationship and I get that. I totally understand that. But there are two myths that our culture has bought into, and I want to bring them up because it's very important that you understand that these are, in fact, myths. Many of you would already know this, right? The myth number one is you have to find the one. The one. Like there is only one person in the world that you can marry. And that's why it's so difficult for you because you're just searching for the one. You don't know where the one is, right? And I can tell you that that is just a joke. There are, there are literally thousands, potentially, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of people that you would be completely compatible with, that you could marry and have a great relationship and a fulfilling relationship with. There are plenty of people. Imagine if there really was only just one person. What kind of sick joke is that? God puts you in Australia and it happens to be that the person that you're supposed to marry is in, I don't know, India or something, you know? And you're like, that is just sick. Imagine that, right? Why did God, why did you put me in Australia when the one was in another country? What kind of joke are you playing here, God, right? No, 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 right? Well, isn't it shocking that most people find the one locally to where they live or, you know, in, in the vicinity of, of where they are, maybe local, in, in, in terms of the same state? Come on, just think about it logically. There's not one out there. The other myth, and this is really important, is that when you find that person that so you date, they finally make you whole. I feel empty and I need them to make me whole. No, 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 no. You are not half a person looking for another half out there and together you make a whole. That is just so unbiblical. If that's true, Paul spent half of it, or like his whole life being just half a person. <laughs> Think about Jesus. Jesus was never married. Oh, well, gosh, don't we feel sorry for Jesus? Here he is walking around like he's got it together. He's just half a person. No, he's not just half a person, right? You are a whole person in a relationship with God, right? And you might find another whole person, right? And you come together, you create something beautiful, you create something new, you create something different. So, so here is my advice to you, right? Don't worry about finding the right person. Worry about 
being the right person. Don't worry about finding the right person. Just worry about being the right person. If you are single, you be the right person and put God first. If you're single, you be the right person and put God first. Don't worry about who they are out there and fill your days with anxiety and worry and concern about where they are and who are they and oh my goodness, did I just walk past them in the shopping centre? Could that have been the one, right? Don't worry about who they are. Just think about who you are. Now, if you're single, you have got maybe some time and some opportunity to work on some things. Like, let me ask you a couple of questions. How is your prayer life? Now, this is going to come up in just a moment. This is really important. How is your prayer life going? How's your word life going? In other words, how, how is your Bible reading going? How's your relationship with God going? How is your fasting life going? How's the spiritual side of who you are? How is all of that going? Don't be out there worried and looking for who they are. You're looking for curves when you should be working on character, all right? Think about what's most important. You've got to begin this thing in the right place by having the right values. And what is the right value? Yep, you betcha, to put God first, to walk with Jesus, to be empowered by the Spirit of God and walking and exuding the fruits of the Spirit. This is the stuff that's really, really important. So like, think about it like this. I'm a dad and I have three kids and I want all of my kids to grow up to have great spouses, okay? Now, this is funny. This is weird because... Arranged marriages has come up twice in two weeks, okay? So maybe if it comes up next week and Pastor Ruth says it, let's just go back to that. It's obviously God's trying to get our attention, right? Now, now when I was growing up, I was not cool with arranged marriages. As a father, this is a great idea, okay? We should look at this, right? Now, if I was able to arrange the marriages of my children, what would I be looking for? Think about it. What would I be looking for? Yep, I'd be looking for someone out there, a spouse who had Jesus as their foundation, who loved God, who had a great relationship with God, that was walking with God. Of course, I'd be looking for all of those things. And there are a couple of other things that help, you know, like if you're single and, and you want to get out of this space that you're in, of course, you know, it helps to shower and wear deodorant and all those other things, right? Clean yourself up, get a haircut when you're out of ISO, all of that, okay? So, so that is important. Yes, I agree, right? But think about this. God is a father. And if I, as an earthly father, can see that these things are important, think about it from God's perspective. Be the kind of person that God would want to set up his son or daughter with. Think about that. God cares so much about his kids. You've got to be the kind of person that God would want to give his son and his daughter to. Now, if you're single, I want you to think about this. You are not, when you look in the mirror, and maybe, maybe this is part of the issue, you look in the mirror and you simply see what you don't have and or you're reminded of what you don't have, okay? But if you're a single person, you are not a single person who also has a relationship with God. No, 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 no. You are a child of God who at this stage of your life happens to be single. 
And the order in which you see those things is not semantics. The order matters. Why? Because you see things through the lens of your identity. And it's important to see that you are first a child of God, secure in who you are as a child or son of the King Most High. And then you build all future relationships on the foundation of your relationship with Jesus. So important to see it that way. Now, if you successfully navigate the dating world, which is up and down and around and like a roller coaster, and let's say that you do it and you navigate it and you happen to find yourself getting married, don't believe the following myth, okay? The following myth is, well, if we love each other, that'll just be enough. Love will make sure that all other things will be taken care of. Ah, yes, it sounds beautiful until you get married. And if you are a married person, you and I know the same thing. Love alone is not enough. You need to think about other things like, for example, sacrifice, uh, commitment, communication. These are all important things. And the reason why I say this is because a lot of people that end up not having their relationships work is because of these things. So yes, love is important, but everybody has stood at the altar at some point in their life and stood across from another person and said, I love you. And it didn't necessarily always work out. So these other things are important. Now, how do you, this is the second big question. How do you plan for your future while you are married? Well, I want to read a scripture to you out of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22 to 25. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. Now, this is some, some of the husbands are like, yeah, I, this is a good book. I need to really get into this thing. Any more nuggets of gold like that? Wives, submit to your husbands. And it does, and it sounds beautiful. But you've got to understand in verse 25, the apostle Paul writes something to the husbands, and he says, husbands... Love your wives as God loved the church and gave himself up for her. What does that mean? Well, if you knew, Jesus gave his life up for his bride, which is the church. So here is what we see. All right, we look at both of those examples. On one hand, the wives need to submit to their husbands. And on the other hand, the husbands need to lay down their lives for their bride. Now, sacrificing once is important, but if you are planning for your future, how do you plan for your future if you're getting married? Well, you should see that commitment to your marriage partner is a lifetime of sacrifice. It is a daily sacrifice sometimes. You are always laying down your life in honor of your bride. So what do we see? It's, it's, if you look at this, it's actually mutual sacrifice. It's mutual submission in so many ways. And one of the things that I've learned is that, and I say this at a lot of weddings, is that sacrifice is only a word until you need to give something up. You know, sacrifice is only a word until your wife says, can we watch Call the Midwife or something? And suddenly you realize, man, sacrifice is real. This is serious. I, I, I got to lay down my life this tonight. You know, I didn't realize I was going to have to do this, but, but it happens. So what do we see? It's mutual sacrifice, right? Now, we know that the church isn't perfect, okay? But the church is God's people. 
So the church will never be perfect because as Christian people, we still make mistakes. We're still flawed. We still have errors, right? And if we look at how God loved the church, what did He do, right? If we read this, we see that Jesus keeps loving us. Why? Because the foundation of our relationship with Jesus is centered around the gospel. It's a covenant of grace. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. The Hebrew word for covenant, it actually means, or covenant love is this word hasid, right? Or if you want to say it with a little bit of style, you might say hasid. Now, this is what it means. The consistent, faithful, relentless, constantly pursuing, lavish, extravagant, unrestrained, one-way love. And it's used 248 times in the Old Testament. Can you imagine that? It is a one-way love. This is how it works. Covenant love is God saying, I will love you even when you mess up. And what is the Apostle Paul really saying here? He's saying, hey, listen, you can't just love your bride and have a good relationship with them based on how perfect they are. You can't have a great relationship with your spouse based on how uh, uh, their behavior or their, their ability to get everything right. You know, it, it's not about that. We understand that people are flawed and people are going to make mistakes, right? But really the, the encouragement to us, if we look at this, is Jesus just keeps forgiving His church and keeps loving His church in spite of how His church behaves. He's saying when you, when you get married, you should probably approach it the exact same way. You keep loving your spouse and doing everything you can to develop your spouse spiritually in spite of the fact of how they behave sometimes, right? So, so when it comes to being married, what we often see is when, when troubles start to happen is when people stop either submitting or sacrificing. In fact, I would say this, right? Married people often don't, oftentimes they don't have marriage problems. They often have single person problems. So married people have single people problems. So what happens? Well, people get married and then one of them wants to move in a different direction. And instead of sacrificing or laying down their life, or submitting, they say, no, I want it this way. And the other person says, I want it that way. Little reference to the Backstreet Boys in there. Don't know if you caught that, right? But uh, I want it that way. Well, it doesn't always work if you do that. It doesn't always work. And what is meant to happen is you, you're meant to get both people coming together to submit and to sacrifice, right? Now, if you're a married person, if you're married, it's important that you don't see yourself as a married person who also happens to have a relationship with Jesus. No, 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 no. Why? Because that would be building the house first and putting the rock on top. That would be having your life first and putting the foundation on top. So that doesn't make sense. No, 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 no. What we're supposed to do is we are supposed to lay the foundation first. So I am first a child of God in a relationship with God through Jesus. And I also happen to be married. Why do I say that? Well, the matter or the order matters. It's not semantics. Because if I see myself 
first and foremost, as a person in the pursuit of a relationship with God, then I will pursue the things that God tells me to do. And if I do that and my spouse does that, then somewhere between submission and sacrifice, we meet in the middle and it's the way it's supposed to work. It's all about how you see yourself. I am a God-fearing, Bible-believing Christian in pursuit of a deep and profound relationship with God. And as a result of that, I look at my spouse and I'm committed to her based on who I am as a Christian. See, it's not semantics, the order matters. All right, so if you're married, if you're married, you be the right person and put God first. And we know how this happens. Now, if, if you make God number one and your spouse also makes God number one in this utopian example that I give to you today, right? Then what happens? Well, we see the overlap of submission and sacrifice. It's hand in glove and it works. But we know that it doesn't always happen that way. And we know that sometimes people end up getting divorced and no one wanted to end up there and people didn't stand across from the person that they love at the altar on the day when they decided to make their covenant before God and thought, hey, I'll just see how this goes. I believe that people stand across from each other wanting with all of their hearts and all the love that they have to live with this person for the rest of their lives. How do you plan for your future if you're divorced? How do you plan for your future if you're divorced? Let me break it down. I don't know what the percentage of divorces are in, in Australia. I tried to find out, looked at all the statistics, the information, but it was hard to find how many marriages end in divorce. I can tell you how many divorces we have in Australia per year. I can tell you how many marriages we have, but how many relationships, how many marriages end in divorce, really hard to find out. But I can tell you that the statistics both in the church and out of the church are no different. Historically, they're just no different. Now, one of the things that I saw is that people are less likely to get divorced today, or, or I'd say the divorce rate is actually going down. But then again, less people are getting married and a lot more people are cohabitating. So we understand that, of course, there'd be less divorces because there's less marriages, okay? So we understand that. But let me talk to you about divorce for a moment. Firstly, God doesn't want anyone to get divorced, period. He doesn't want anyone to get divorced. And the reason is, is that when a person gets divorced, they are breaking a covenant that they made with God. In Hebrew, the word covenant means to cut, like the cutting of a covenant. Now, I know this sounds really weird, and especially if you're new to church, but the way that you would enter into a covenant historically, and you can see this in the scriptures, is you would get an animal and you cut it in half and you lay one piece of the animal on one side and you lay the other piece of the animal on the other side. And then before you make your covenant vows and agreements, you pass through the pieces of, that have been cut in half. This is why the word covenant means to cut. And so you pass through and then you, you stand before the person that is the superior in the uh, covenant agreement and you say, I agree to these terms and conditions and should I break this covenant... May what's happened to these animals, what's happened to these pieces, may it happen to me. In other words, may I be cut in half should I ever break this covenant agreement. 
Now, we can see parts of the Bible where this actually has happened, right? Not a person being cut in half, but where they have passed through the pieces. And so we understand that this is incredibly important to understand how serious it is before God when somebody gets a divorce because they're breaking a covenant. Now, in Jewish culture, by the time Jesus arrived, Jewish men could divorce their wives for a number of reasons. And Jesus comes into this culture and He says, no, 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 I'm going to change the way that you look at this, right? So He says, I'll give you a reason why you can get divorced. You can get divorced in if there has been some kind of sexual immorality in the relationship. So someone's had an affair or something like that, but there's sexual immorality in the relationship. Okay. And then the Apostle Paul comes along and he says later on, you can read this in 1 Corinthians 7, 15, he, he adds a reason that I believe is willful desertion. So when somebody has completely deserted their spouse. And what is the thing that allows that person to actually have a divorce? It's the breaking of a covenant. See, when you break a covenant, you, you don't just mend it or put it back together. You have to ratify a new covenant. That's how it works. You don't just piece it together. You have to ratify and, and put in place a new covenant. So it's all about covenant. It's all about covenant to God. And I have probably not really shared this, this before, but this is kind of how I, I see it. I think it's interesting because I think there's an elasticity to this covenant. I've never said this before, but this is, this is how I would explain it. I think there's an elasticity here to this covenant. So let me give you an example. Some people have a low threshold and some people have a high threshold when it comes to their covenant agreement. Say for example, a husband and a wife are walking down an aisle at the supermarket and as the husband walks down, maybe they walk past, you know, like the magazine section. And I was trying to think of like a, a women's magazine, Women's Day. Let's say there's Women's Day magazine and there's some beautiful woman on the front. And as, as the husband walks down, he just raises an eyebrow because he just spies this beautiful woman on the front. And if the wife at that point was to turn to her husband and accuse him of sexual immorality and say, I want a divorce right now, I'd say that's a, a pretty extreme response to that scenario. I'd say that the threshold is so low that what that uh, wife is looking for is actually an excuse to get out of that relationship. See, I think that there is some kind of elasticity here. Because remember what Jesus said? He said, if you even look at a woman lustfully, it's like you've uh, committed adultery in your heart. So maybe the woman says, ah, I just saw where your eyes went. And now I see that, that you've committed adultery in your heart. And the husband's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I raised an eyebrow. That's not what it, it's not what it meant. She says, ah, no, I want out of this relationship, right? That would be an extremely low threshold with someone that has no elasticity. Why? Because they actually want out. And so they're looking for a reason to get out however they can. That's, that's not what that's supposed to be like. There's an elasticity here. And I think that it varies. Let me, let me tell you, on, on, on a, I, I've seen in other relationships where a husband uh, has struggled with different addictions in their life and their wife, in spite of those things, has said, I will work with you and together we will get through this. What does she got? She's got a high threshold. Why? Because she's not looking for a way out. And the reason that I say this is because 
If we just say, oh yeah, if it's sexual immorality or willful desertion, people might be looking to use those things as a way to get out when that's not what's supposed to happen. Divorce isn't supposed to be the first option. That's not what God wants. That's not where God wants to lead a relationship. So, so this varies. And, and let me give you a couple of examples. I think this is important and it's relevant. So let me give you a couple of examples where maybe someone actually may have grounds for a divorce. Obviously, we understand if someone has had an affair, then of course that, that would be grounds for it, but it doesn't need to be. You don't have to get a divorce. You can work through it with counseling and support and all those other things. But let's say this, if there was physical, mental or verbal abuse that was extreme, maybe that's grounds for divorce. I wouldn't say it's the first port of call, but maybe there needs to be some counseling. I, I would say that if there was chemical addictions involved or maybe serious physical neglect, and, a, and I'm saying like food and shelter, not like your husband or your wife forgot to pick up the milk on the way home. That's not neglect, okay? Let's not get extreme about that. And so, so these examples might be extreme versions of what I'm talking about. There may be grounds for divorce, but it's not the first port of call because covenant is so serious that you would do everything you can to fix it, to save it, to, to, to do everything you can to fix your marriage. And I know I said that you can't fix a covenant once it's been broken, but I'm saying that you can stay committed to that person. And I'm saying in all of this, you know, because every example is different and everyone's gonna hear the words that I'm saying right now and they're gonna interpret it through the lens of their experience. I'm saying that, you know, no matter how hard things get, if you get some counseling and both people are repentant and you can get back to that place where there is submission and sacrifice, then it can work. And that should be the direction in which everyone goes to. So for some people, I know that they have tried that and it just hasn't worked. And that's sad. It's sad because I know that nobody started off their marriage wanting to get divorced. And if you find yourself in that position today, then please don't believe the myth that you are damaged goods, that no one could ever love you again. When you see yourself in the mirror, maybe you see what you used to have and you look at yourself and maybe you're disappointed with how things turned out. I get it. So, so you can't change that now. It's happened in the past and it's currently your present. How do you do that? What should you do? Well, if you're divorced, firstly, I just acknowledge that you've been through a really tough time. But even in spite of that, wherever you are today, you be the right person. You put God first. It's the only thing that you can do. You be the right person. You may not be out of control what your ex has done. You may not be able to control what your um, you know, ex-spouse is saying about you. You, you. you might not be able to do all those things, but you know what you can do today? You be the right person. You put God first. You are not a divorced person that also happens to have a relationship with Jesus. You are first and foremost a child of God that is totally loved by God, who happens to find themselves in the position of being divorced. And the order in which you see those things 
matters. It's all about your identity. It's who you see yourself as first. You are a child of God that has gone through a difficult time, right? You need to see it this way. You happen to be divorced, but that's not your identity. That's not who you are. You're a child of God first. And I think you see my point. My point is that in every season, whatever you're going through, right? You be the right person. You put God first. And you know, following Jesus is not the promise that everything will be easy and everything will work out the way that you want. In fact, you know what the Scripture says? It says, narrow is the way that leads to life. Sometimes it's hard. You will go through difficult times. It's Following Jesus is not doesn't mean that all of your circumstances in life will be perfect. It means you have someone that will lead you through them and be with you in every season and in every circumstance that you go through. So whether you find yourself today in the position of being single or maybe you're married or maybe you're divorced, but you be the right person. You put God first. You make him, your foundation, and everything else in your life is built on your identity in Christ. And if you do that, I promise that you will be eternally grateful. So I want to pray for some people right now who have found themselves in a position that they just don't want to be in. Father, I thank you for every person who's watching this today, and they find themselves in the position of being single when they don't want to be. They're married, but they're struggling. They're divorced and they never wanted to get to this place. Or there's so many things that we can't control. We don't want to worry about who is the one that's out there or fighting for control in our marriage or living in the regret of our past. In every season, God, we choose to put You first. Our identity is in You. You are the rock of our foundation and we build our lives on top of that. And because You are our foundation, whatever we go through, whatever challenges we face, our life won't fall apart. Our life is intact because even though it's gone through rough weather and tough seasons, we built our lives on You. You are the foundation that doesn't move. You are the thing that never shifts. You love us in spite of ourselves. You stay committed to us because Your love towards us is one of covenant love. Now I pray that every single person who finds themselves in a position that they don't wanna be in, that they would see themselves first as a child of God and second as anything else that they want to put into their lives. I pray, God, that your spirit walks with them, that you lead them, that you guide them, that you encourage them and that you counsel them. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.